The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Thank you all so much for coming and joining us for our Good Friday service this morning. Um, I appreciate the songs that were sung. They're right in line with the theme of the message this morning. And I want to point out the obvious this morning. I'll begin that way. And that is that it is strange for us to be meeting on a Friday morning. We don't have any other services throughout the year on a Friday. And we don't have any other services other than on Sunday in the morning. So it's kind of strange that we're here today. But what's more strange to me is the fact that we call this Good Friday. Why would we call it good? This is the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. This is the day that mankind killed the Son of God. Why would we call that good? As I sat down to prepare my message a few weeks ago, the first thought I had was, I am so unworthy to to be able to give this message, to give this wonderful story. And I thought about that, and I thought about what it meant for me that Christ died on the cross. And then what I thought about this morning, I thought, I, I want people here this morning just to know what I know, what the Bible says about why we call it Good Friday. The truth is we could call it Good Friday for one of two reasons. The first reason is that Jesus was a heretic, that he promoted himself as a teacher and, and he said that he had wisdom and he said that he had the ability to forgive sins and that he was, he was God and that he could give people life. But if he wasn't those things, if he can't offer us life, if he can't offer us forgiveness, if Jesus went around claiming to be God, claiming to give people forgiveness of sins, claiming that that he would give them everlasting life, and he was not God and he could not offer those things, he was a heretic. He was a terrible teacher. He was wicked and evil and awful, and the, the Jewish leaders were right for crucifying him. He was blasphemous. And so that's one reason you could call it good, that, that the world got rid of a heretic that day. The only other way is that somehow it is good for us to kill God. So that's what we're going to think about this morning. I want us to think about the fact that Jesus Christ was God incarnate in the flesh. That he was betrayed, that he was rejected, that he was sold for the price of a slave that mankind spit upon him and mocked him, that we plucked out his beard, that they took him and they strapped him to a post and they scourged him, tearing apart his back, literally his back looking like hamburger. And then they put a robe on him, a purple robe, and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, they put a scepter in his hand and said, look at hail Jesus, the king of the Jews. They mocked him. They found amusement in embarrassing him. And then they made him carry up his cross up the hill of Golgotha. And they drove stakes into his hands and his feet. And they lifted him up naked for all to see, for all to laugh at. And that on that day, Jesus died. And somehow, that is good. But that wasn't the worst part about the crucifixion. The worst part of the crucifixion wasn't what they did to him so long ago. The worst part of the crucifixion is what I did. 
It was my part. Because on that day, it wasn't just physical pain that Jesus endured. On that day, Jesus, for the first time in eternity past and eternity future, was separated from his Father. That all of our accumulated sin, all of humanity's accumulated sin, past, present, and future, were on Jesus that day. When God looked down from heaven at his Son, he no longer saw his Son. He saw the sin of all humanity. And his wrath was poured out on his Son. And it was so great that Jesus looked up to heaven and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the worst part of the cross. And that was my part. And so, today it is hard for us to fathom that Jesus' death was good. And my contention this morning will be that Good Friday was the most terrible day in all of human history. But that it is also the day when the grace and the love and the mercy of God was demonstrated on our behalf. I believe the text we're going to look at will provide us two different ways of looking at the life of Jesus, the mission and the purpose of Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to be looking at John chapter 6. It's a text that's unconventional for Good Friday service. But at the end, I pray that we will, we will see these two ways of looking at Christ, and we will determine which version we want to trust, which person we are. The one whose death was the end of a false teacher, or the one whose death, in God's eyes, was good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to work. Lord, I pray that, pray that you would shed light on this passage, that you would help us to see why Jesus came, that we would see Christ crucified for what it truly was. It was the death of God on the cross, and it was the death of God in the place of sinners, the place of myself and everybody here. And so, God, I pray that you would be glorified in what is said, that, um, that you would show people why Jesus came and that they would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 6, and there's a lot of verses in John 6, and so we will be summarizing parts of the story as we go through, and we'll be honing in on Jesus' view of his life and his imminent death, why he came and why he died. Now, in this text, Jesus is here and he's preaching. He's in his Galilean ministry. He's in Galilee. And at this time in his ministry, there are multitudes of people following him. He's just gone around performing incredible miracles, teaching and preaching the kingdom of God, and he is at the very height of his popularity. At no other time in Jesus' ministry was he this popular. This was it. And we might imagine that this is the most wonderful time of Jesus' ministry, because this is a time that people are listening to him and accepting him and following him. And in chapter 6, verses 1 to 13, we have the record of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. So probably upwards of 20,000 people are there following Jesus, leaving their work, leaving whatever they're supposed to be doing that day, and just sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn what he has to say, to hear from a good teacher. And here, they've gone all day without any food. And so Jesus looks at them, he has compassion on them, and he finds a little boy that has five small pieces of bread, two small fish, and he multiplies this food. He shows his creative power in multiplying this food so that at the end of it, all of these 20,000 plus people have eaten, they're full, they cannot stuff anything else in their mouth, and there's 12 baskets left over. Just an incredible miracle. And so it's, it's no wonder at this point that people are following Jesus. 
And so this is the response of the Jews. In John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth that prophet that should come into the world. They look at Jesus, and they see his miracles, and they see his teaching, and they say, This of truth is that prophet. That prophet. Now, for us, that might not mean very much, but for them, they were referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when a prophet is promised. It says, The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet in the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And in the book of Acts, uh, the apostle Peter and Stephen both make it clear that that prophet was Jesus. And so it is important to know that what he's referring to, that prophet, when they say that prophet, they're saying a prophet like Moses. Yeah, do you remember what Moses did? Well, the first thing he did is he delivered the people from Egypt. They were in bondage to the Egyptians, and so he freed them. That is the, the Passover. And then he brought them out of the wilderness, and they needed food, and so he provided them bread from heaven. And so they look at Jesus and say, listen, maybe you've come to deliver us. You've already provided us bread from heaven. This is wonderful. You are that prophet that we're looking forward to. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 15, you see what Jesus' response to them is. So they think he's that prophet. This seems like a really good thing. But Jesus, in, in verse 15, says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain to be by himself alone. <laughs> Jesus, do you realize what they're trying to do? They're trying to take you and make you their king. They want to serve you. They believe you're a good teacher. They believe you're a great prophet. They want you to be their king. I mean, there's, there's really not a, a better thing that you can say about another human being. I want to follow you. I want you to be my king. I want you to lead me. And this is what they say. They want him to be their king. But Jesus' response here is so strange, isn't it? When he finds out that he wants them to be their king, he leaves. He goes away to be by himself to pray. Now, why would he do that? Well, because what they thought was good in Jesus, what they thought Jesus' mission was, is not what Jesus' mission actually was. He wanted them to see something different. And so if we were to ask the Jews a question at this time, who do you think Jesus is? They would say he's a great prophet. He's a great teacher. They would say he's a, he's a great man, a, a worker of miracles. But they would not say that he is God. And they certainly would not want him to die. They wanted to make him king. They wanted him to deliver them from Roman rule. That's not why Jesus came. And so that evening, Jesus sends his disciples across the sea to Capernaum. And he on that night, walks on the water, there's the storm, and uh, he calms the storm, and he walks on the water, and the disciples are amazed, and just another miracle, but here it's just a, a private miracle, it's just his disciples that see this. And the next morning, people wake up in what we think is Bethsaida, that's where we think the 5,000, feeding of 5,000 happened. And so they wake up in Bethsaida, and now all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. Where did Jesus go? So they go on a manhunt trying to find him. And in John chapter 6, verse 25, it says, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? <laughs> Jesus, teacher, when did you get here? How did you get here? What happened? We were going to make you king. Why did you leave? <laughs> Jesus explains his absence. He says in verse 26, 
Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. What he's saying there is, you seek me not because you saw that I'm God, that you saw the, the reason behind the miracles. That's not why you're seeking me. You seek me because your bellies were full. You seek me because of what I could give you. See, they wanted physical bread. They did not want spiritual life. So Jesus says in verse 27, Labor not for that meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life. He's trying to reorient their thinking. He's saying, listen, you want bread. You want something to fill your belly, but tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. So stop laboring. Stop worrying about it. Stop seeking the meat that is just going to perish. It's just going to be gone. Start worrying about eternal life. Everlasting life. Is that not so much more important to us? Would you rather have a a meal today or eternal life with God forever? I mean, it's a ridiculous comparison. So he says, listen, folks, don't worry so much about your bellies. Don't worry so much about your physical needs. That's not what this is about. Worry about your eternal state, your eternal life. And in verse, uh, verse 28, they ask, what are the dumbest questions? I mean, you gotta, I can't imagine being Jesus and having to deal with people like us. Because okay? these people are like us, really. Verse 28, he says, Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And what they're saying here is, Okay, Jesus, if you're not going to give us some more bread, then what do we need to do so we can get ourselves bread? How do we do the works of God? And when the works of God are the miracle of, of making bread out of nothing. So Jesus, how do we do this? Jesus says, verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. This is what God wants for you. He doesn't want you to make bread out of nothing. He doesn't want you to perform miracles. He wants you to believe on him whom God has sent. Verse 30, What sign showest thou then, that we might see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Again, so dense. Okay, Jesus, we get it. You're not going to let us make bread. But if you want us to believe you, then what sign are you going to show us? What work are you now going to do? Do you remember why it was that they left Pesada and came to Capernaum to find him? Do you remember what they wanted to do the day before? Well, they, they had the miracle, the incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children, that miracle, and they thought he was such a great teacher that they wanted to make him king, and now they say to him, okay, Jesus, if you want us to believe you, you have to give us a sign. You have to show us some kind of miracle. I mean, really, it's been like less than 24 hours. You should remember that part. And then they have the audacity to say, Moses gave us bread, what are you going to give us? And so Jesus answered very clearly, verse 32. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Listen, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. So stop thinking that Moses is anything special. He was a wonderful prophet, but he was not the one who provided the bread. And then he says, But my Father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. God is now offering you something so much greater than what you got from God through Moses. They had physical bread, lasted for 40 years, and then it was done. 
you have the opportunity to have bread that gives life. Gives life into the world. Verse 34, then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Okay, so it's clicking. Okay, God, if you're going to give us a special certain kind of bread, give us that kind of bread. In verses 35 to 46, Jesus explains that he is the bread of life. That he is the one that came down from heaven on a mission and that belief in him will result in everlasting life. Now, a little while ago, they thought he was a miracle worker. They thought he was a great prophet. They thought he was a teacher. Now they argue he's just a mere man. Don't we know Joseph? I mean, we know Joseph, his father. What's this guy? How could he possibly say that to us? It's funny to me that one day they want to make him king. But as soon as the person that they say they want to be king tells them that his mission is something other than what they want it to be, that all of a sudden they won't follow him anymore. That is the state of much of Christianity today. I will follow Jesus as long as he gives me what I want, as long as he takes care of my needs, as long as he provides for me. It's not about the eternal life, the spiritual life. It's not about the relationship with God. What people follow Jesus for is bread, it's cars, you know, it's stuff, it's health. It is none of the things that Jesus actually came for. Do not create Jesus' mission for him. When we look at the gospel, when we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate Good Friday, it is foolish for us to think that we can make a better plan for Easter, a better plan for Jesus and his life than the one he came for. And so it's essential that we, we don't just celebrate Easter because it's a traditional thing to do, that we actually think about what we're doing. What is it that Jesus came for? Why are we talking about this? Why are we getting together for a Good Friday service and then Easter Sunday? Why do we do these things? It's because of what the gospel, what the Bible says about Jesus. And we need to know his mission. We often think that Jesus came to feed the poor, to heal the sick, to be a teacher, to be an example, to bring comfort to our lives, to make people rich. We often think the wrong things. These are the same things that the Jews wanted Jesus to come for. It's not why he came. Let's look and see why Jesus came. John chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. This is why I came. This is the will of God. The will of God is that everyone that believes on me would have everlasting life. If that's not clear enough, look at verse 54. He says, Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life. Again, if you partake in Jesus, you have eternal life. Verse 58, he that eats of this bread shall live forever. And here's the problem with all of this. He, he says, he keeps talking about eating the bread and, and, and partaking of his flesh and his blood. The Jews can't see past the physical. Jesus explains himself. In verse 63, he makes it clear that it is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But they can't get past that. They can't get the past that they think Jesus is saying, hey, you should, you should be a, a, a cannibal. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's the, I mean, it, it's so ridiculous, but they're so blind. They can't see why Jesus came. They're so obsessed with this life, with flesh, with blood, with bread. 
And he's so clear that his message was to bring them everlasting life, and they just can't get it. And ultimately, this message was met by two responses. The first response was the response of a majority of people, and that is they left him. Verse 60 says, Therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, It is hard saying, Who can hear it? So his disciples, I mean those that were following him, they hear what he says and they say, This is a hard thing to hear. This is a hard saying. Who could possibly hear it? Verse 66 says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When they finally find out why Jesus actually came, that he came to give eternal life, that he's going to offer his flesh, his body, as a sacrifice for sins. When they finally get that, they say, I'm not following that Jesus because I want bread. The second response, the response of the 12 apostles, save Judas. Verse 67, Jesus says, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. He could not be more clear about affirming Jesus' mission. See, he gets it. Peter gets it here. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. This is who you are. This is your mission. Your mission is not something that we make up. It is not just to be our earthly king. Your mission is to come and to save us, to be the Messiah that was promised, the suffering Messiah from Isaiah chapter 53. That is who you are. So they worship him as Messiah, as the Son of God and the Savior. These are the two responses. And so what I want to do before we close this morning is to take a closer look at these two possible responses of Jesus. The first one is that Jesus is good, but that his death is not. These are, I think, the two most popular responses to Jesus in our culture. Jesus is good. We don't get his death. It's not good. It's not good to kill a good teacher. It's not good to kill somebody who healed the sick. That's not a good thing. Jesus is somebody who is thought to meet our intellectual or our physical or our emotional needs. But Jesus, though he ought to be served as king, did not come to be my savior. Don't miss this. When Jesus is speaking to the crowd here, speaking to some of the most religious people in all the world. I mean, these people believed in God, and they believed that they were going to heaven because of their belief in God. They did religious things. They met often. They were following Jesus because they thought he was from God. I mean, we've we got to understand, there's something different about Peter's response than their response. Because though they believed in God, though they would affirm some of the things that are true about Jesus... They left him. They weren't saved. That's the first response. Jesus was a good man. His death wasn't good. The second response is this. Jesus is God, and his death is good. How can it be good to kill God? How was the torture and excruciating pain and the separation from God that Jesus experienced on the cross, how was that possibly good? First of all, it was good because he did it for you. It was good because he did it for me. It was God's love for you as a sinner that made him send Jesus 
to die in your place. Romans 5.8 says, But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. 1 John 4.9 In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Why was it good? Because it was for you. Because it was for me. Because we are sinners. Because our sin separates us from God. Because when, when, when God sent Jesus in the world, he did not say that, hey, look at the world. They need a better moral teacher. If we just give them a good moral teacher, maybe they'll do the right thing. Maybe they'll learn how to live properly. Has that worked? If Jesus was a good moral teacher, he was a terrible failure, wasn't he? Because we see some, some terrible immorality in people that call themselves Christians, right? Right? I mean, is the world a better place today than it was then? No, not really. There's a whole lot of terrible things that happen every day. Just look at the news. Jesus wasn't, he didn't come to be a good moral teacher. His death is good because he died for you. He died in your place. He died taking your punishment. His death is good because all of the sin that I have done and all of the sin that you have done, and all of the sin that I will do and that you will do was put on the cross. His death is good because it was in my place. Because it means that I don't have to suffer. I don't have to pay my own punishment. I don't have to go to hell for eternity. That's what it means. That's his death. That's why it's good. It was for me. It was for you. And it was good because Jesus' death is our only hope. John 14, 6, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You've heard that verse, but think about what it's saying. You, go, you can't get to God any other way other than through Jesus Christ. That's why he came. Wouldn't it have been such a cruel joke if God sent his only son from heaven to die on the cross and to experience that torture and that separation and all of that just to be another way to heaven? Just to, hey, listen, if you don't like all of these other religions and all of these other ways, then here's, here's a new one. Here's my son dying on the cross for your sins. The reason that Jesus came is because that is the only hope. Because there's nothing other than that. We have no hope in ourselves. We can't undo the sin that we've done. We can't unbreak God's law. We can't restore that relationship. There's no way you can reach up high enough to God and, and grasp onto him. And because that's true, he sent somebody who could, who could reach down, who could pull us up, who could live a perfect and sinless life, and because he was perfect, he could accept our sin on himself. He could die in our place. It was good because his death is our only hope. As the perfect and just judge, he must condemn all sin. And if you read the book of Romans chapter 3, you will find that we are all guilty. Every one of us, equally guilty before God. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. We're guilty. And so as a perfect and just judge, God will condemn our sin. But as a loving creator, he sent his son to be the condemned for us. So the question this morning then is, how will we respond to this Jesus? How will we respond to this mission? We all have to make a decision. 
Just like the Jews here in this passage eventually came to the place where they learned Jesus didn't come, he didn't come here to meet my physical needs, he didn't come to give me bread. He came to give me everlasting life, but that means partaking in his death. We have to make that same decision. He will not provide you with temporal riches, he might even make you suffer. When you come to Christ, life doesn't get super easy. It's not like bed of roses all the time, you sing songs all day long. That's, that's not how it is. Life is still hard. But we have eternal life. We have spiritual life. We have a, a restored relationship with God. Jesus came to bring eternal life. His mission was the cross. I want to read these verses before we finish. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it's just a fantastic set of verses here. Peter says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Okay, you haven't, you haven't been redeemed. You haven't been bought back. You haven't been saved by corruptible things like silver and gold. You're not giving your way to heaven. You can't use your wealth or your riches to get yourself to heaven. He says that. He says, it's not from your vain conversation. It's not from your lifestyle. Your vain conversation is your lifestyle. It's not that you were so good that you got yourself to heaven. It's not going to happen. He said, it's not the tradition from your father's. It's not your religion. It's not your church. It's not some person that can give you this outside of Jesus Christ. You weren't redeemed from those things. It says in verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Isn't that crazy? Before the foundation of the world, this was God's plan to, send, to save sinners? That Jesus' mission from the very beginning, before he was even incarnate in the flesh, was eventually to someday come and to die on that cross? That that was God's plan all along for you? Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God? That's why Jesus came. So that we'll put our faith and our hope and our trust in God. He came to be the bread of life. You must see him for who he is. And you must see your sin for what it is. And when we do these things, when we come to Christ, he promises to save us. Romans 10, 9, 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That was Jesus' mission. Repent and believe the gospel. Do you realize that nothing that I've said today, none of my words, none of the knowledge, none of the information can save anybody? The only thing that can save any person in this room is when they personally repent and they put their faith in God. They put their faith in their sins, they, they put them on the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with some of the words that we sang a few minutes ago. The words from the song, In Christ Alone. It says, In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, 
I live. Do you have life in the death of Christ this morning? Because if not, you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the death of Christ. Lord, we thank you that the mission of Jesus was to come into the world to save sinners. Lord, for those of us that know you, we know that we are wicked and awful sinners. We're so grateful for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, if there are people in this room this morning that don't know you as their Savior, if they don't, they didn't know why you came, if they haven't put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning and show them Christ. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I pray in Jesus' name.